And welcome everyone to this very special loved up edition of the 42 to Doomsday podcast. I'm Rob. And I'm Mark. And since the announcement of the 13th Doctor, there's been a fair amount of noise and negativity in fandom about this momentous decision. So in this episode, we thought we, and with the help of some of our listeners, would remind ourselves of why we fell in love and continue to remain in love with Doctor Who. So let's have less of this and more of this as we lube up and reacquaint ourselves with our favourite show because at the end of the day and as Rob lovingly said at the beginning of the episode, this is our uh, special love-in. So hello, Rob. How are we, sir? I'm in love, Mark. Are you in love? Always. <laughs> How's it going? Very good. A uh, very busy week at work, but that's uh, good. better to be uh, better to be busy than not in yourself. Exactly the same, really. Yes, uh, back into the work swing of things, unfortunately. So the uh, holidays are distant memory and, uh, yes, yeah, strapping it back on. In the workplace. In these dark days, Mark, you've got to put the happiness in the in the rearview mirror and just embrace <laughs> the darkness. You know that. Exactly. So I'm listening to a lot of The Cure at the moment, so that's getting me through the day. <laughs> Did you see the blow-up chicken Trump that was floating around the White House today? I haven't seen the video. I just saw an image. Yes. What's all that about? I don't know. Whether it, it might be... Look, you know, given the polarised debate in Washington at the moment, it could be Democrats uh, sticking it to their <laughs> unloved uh, president, or it could be right-wing nut, nut jobs just sending a very unsubtle message to Donald to just get things done. So you like nuke the norks, but um, anyway. Nuke <laughs> the norks. <laughs> is that, that's a new bumper sticker, isn't it, really? Like, uh, let's make America great again. If that actually gets produced, I want five cents for everyone that's sold in North America, please. Yes, please pay please. impoverished writers anything. Yes, but other than that, um, we're now in the uh, post-series uh, dead zone between uh, that uh, point and, um, and the Christmas yes. special. So we're going to be talking about something a little bit different, Mark. It has been a bit of a embittered period since the announcement of Jodie Whittaker, hasn't it? It's been a little bit uh, cuckoo. Three weeks after the announcement, how are you still feeling? Well, um, look, I prefer my doctor to be a man, but then I'm old school and, you know, I'm not for changing sometimes. But on the other hand, you know, I mean, I've changed jobs numerous times and I've, you know, I've changed my life and all that sort of thing. Got married, had kids, which I never would have envisaged. So change is a part of our lives, Mark, and... um, if we're just simply talking about the lead character in a TV show, I think we can sort of uh, we can embrace that and see how it goes and see how it goes. What could possibly go wrong? Um, everything. But on the other hand, actually, if it does come off, it'll be a masterstroke. And you can't disagree that Chibnall has got balls of brass to uh, to want to do this um, immediately. This is his is. His tenure has uh, begun with the biggest of big bangs. So the publicity they were after, they certainly got and yep. uh, continues to roll along and provoke debate still. People I've been speaking to about it, apart from one or two, have been fairly positive about it or embrace and, and give it a go. In regards to that, we've, uh, we've asked our lovely listeners to, um, well, to just talk about the positives, uh, about their love of Doctor Who, why, uh, why they started watching it and why they continue to watch it. And we've had a whole slew of uh, of emails and tweets uh, come our way in the last uh, couple of weeks since we posed this topic uh, we'd like to uh, at the at the outset thank everyone for taking the time to putting uh, fingertips to keyboards and uh, we're going to be uh, talking about uh, ourselves for a little bit about why we love the show and, and why we continue to love the show and then we're going to go through most of these if not all of them in actual fact 
uh, of these missives and uh, just uh, have a chat about the, them and, uh, and what thoughts they provoke, aren't we? And at the end of this, we've even got more feedback that's been building up uh, for the last couple of months. So we'll uh, we'll uh, get through that as well. So it's a fairly um, listener-intense uh, podcast today, which is great. Uh, Rob, let's start the conversation off with you. Uh, can you remember your first time with Who and why you continue to watch it to this day and, and still love it? I'm assuming you're still loving it, even though we, we did have a bit of a wobble over Series 6, 7, <laughs> 8, <laughs> 9... <laughs> Um, not so much 10, which has been good for us. I think it has been good for us. Well, I, th- I think I've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast, so I won't labour it too much. Uh, my first memory uh, is uh, Lynx being unmasked in the Time Warrior and immediately fleeing the living room uh, to my father's uh, comforting, comforting embrace. I suppose, uh, in a sense, it's easy to say uh, why I... Um, you sort of fell in love with Doctor Who. You can be frightened in a safe environment watching television, and I think Doctor Who during that period, the sort of latter Pertwee, and especially the early Tom Baker, I kept on coming back to Tom Baker. As I said before, you can be scared and yet uh, sort of secretly delighted by being scared by watching some of those uh, Hinchcliffe uh, Tom Baker stories. Uh, and I think that sort of attracted my attention. And I, I can recall sort of, you know, f- seeking out and finding shows that had similar a similar sort of feel. There was The Shadows horror anthology from the mid to late 70s which had that, that sort of dark um that, that 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 well in actual fact they had sort of light touch horror for kids and i was always attracted to that and that sort of bled into what i you know ended up reading i ended up reading a lot of stephen king um in the early 80s and uh and and, and finding a sort of love for for horror and sort of dark fantasy from there so uh, and also the fact that um obviously growing up at that point uh, tom baker was the leading man for you know for a lot of the well for half the seventies of course, and he was on high rotation here in Australia. And Tom Baker is one of those actors who um, he uh, he draws the eye all the time. He's always doing something very interesting. He 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 was able to sort of encapsulate that appeals, uh, being one of those adults who you know who actually is interesting to a child, interesting to look at, interesting to listen to, and uh, whereas most adults uh, are basically boring. And uh, so you, you, Tom Baker was always someone who was very interesting to me. So I, I just found that I fell in love with the show because it sort of matched the sort of stories that I enjoyed um, and also the lead actor. I mean, it was uh, I wasn't old enough to sort of lament the passing of Tom Baker, but I could get, gained a sense that certainly an era had passed. And while the, I still enjoyed the show, it was never quite the same. Never quite the same. What about you, Mark? My uh, first memories of Doctor Who, I was aware of it. I never really sort of sat down and watched it till uh, about 1978. Uh, my, my strongest memories are from the, watching the Pirate Planet. And I sort of drifted in and out because I'd get easily distracted with the other crap on ITV. So whether it be Man from Atlantis one week or when uh, I remember City of Death in particular um, was, I think it was a summer repeat in 1980. I was still living in the UK because I remember that because I was watching it. The God Almighty noise coming from the... Uh, kitchen in our house and then uh, I found out that my brother had inadvertently told my grandparents we're moving to Australia so lots of gnashing of teeth and wailing when uh, that announcement went through so that was uh, my main memory of uh, City of Death mm. it was only by chance I, I switched on the TV when we moved over here it must, must be about a year or two after that and I caught Ark of Infinity on TV I'm watching on a black and white portable and I think when um, you know sort of thinking back on it now I probably was a little bit homesick and I think this was something I sort of latched onto as a as a link to to the homeland a bit mm-hmm. 
And plus, let's be honest, you're not going to become a fan much of the Paul Hogan show, are you? Or some of the other stuff that was being shown in Australia at the time. So, And I think because it's also on regular repeat over here as well, that mm. sort of reinforced that love as well. And just the variety of stories and also the variety of doctors we were getting in Australia. We were extremely lucky just to get the you know, the repeats we had. You know, we switched, go Davison, Colin Baker, switch to Pertwee, Baker, all the time. We're just sort of mixing and matching. And... Just the variety of the show, of the pro of the of the episodes and the stories that were showing up. I mean, it was never it was never really the same in a sense, was it? Really, this is always, no. you know, and that's what you know it keeps attracting me to this day is really the the evolution of the character. And also, when I was a teenager, you usually start collecting things when you're a teenager, other footy cards or mm. Doctor Who or records, and I did all three. And you didn't have many distractions in your life back then, so you could absorb all the three reference books you had and read them all the time and, and, and just sort of try to get a, um, a sense of the character and the history of it. Mm. I suppose now everything's you know, at your fingertips. You can just read Wikipedia pages to the, to the nth degree, but back then it was a lot harder. So yeah. I suppose by researching it myself and reading the books, of course, it's, it's never been away from my life. And I don't think it, to be honest, ever will. I mean, you know, we're doing podcasts for God's sakes. Mm. We've been writing articles. I see three degrees of separation. I met my wife through Doctor Who and had kids and everything like that. You know, met some really good friends like yourself. So mm. it's never been. There's been many, many positives uh, that you know outweigh you know many of the the very small negatives. So that's right. And uh, the impact that the show has had on my life. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's 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 two. And this is a positive impact. It's it's. A, I suppose it's two or threefold. I mean, I have distinct memories. My memories of Doctor Who can be tied down to particular days. I mean, I remember coming home from piano practice on a Tuesday night during winter and catching the end credits of part two of Mask of Mandraga and lamenting the fact that I'd missed it. I can remember watching, I think, episode one of Attack of the Cybermen in my grandparents' living room uh, when it was broadcast here in Australia. I can remember the week that my brother was born in 1982 that I bought the novelization for The Invisible Enemy. So, I mean, these are uh, Doctor Who, more than any other memory in my life, is, is, uh, is embedded in my, you know, in my life, so to speak. And the novelizations, reading the novelizations really uh, set forth in me or, you know, set, a fl- set me afire in terms, of, in terms of reading. I mean, reading the novelizations and reading those, you know, those little nuggets of Doctor Who helped help me just expand my sort of horizons and what, what I could read. And I, I've never really looked back. So, and in terms of my own writing, I mean, I, I don't, I would never say that I'm a great writer, but um, certainly my writing, uh, in terms of wanting to be a writer, uh, even just a part-time writer in the background, it was inspired by wanting to write Doctor Who fiction. And I think one of the proudest moments of my, you know, writing life and just life in general was having a story published in DWM many, many years ago. Um, so Doctor Who has had... As you were saying, I mean, it's a positive impact on my life. A lot of my friends I've, I met through the Doctor Who Club of Victoria. I've met you. We're doing this podcast. You know, one of the more ridiculous things you could do is, you know, just chat and record and post it for the for the uh, people on the internet or the world over to listen to. That's right. We've got listeners everywhere in Australia, in New Zealand, in North America, in Europe. Uh, I'm sure that you know there, there are some in South America and, and and somewhere in Asia and Africa as well. So. You know, much as the internet binds the world today, so doc, so does an interest in a shared interest in Doctor Who bind a whole lot of disparate people around the world. It's it's just a, it's Doctor Who is an amazing thing when you think about it. It's a show that's been on the air since 1963, you know, more or less continuously. Uh, it's it's one of the most well researched pieces of fiction ever. Uh, the tons and thousands of 
books and articles, tens of thousands of articles written about the show. There are documentaries. Uh, the, you know, the full run is available on DVD. There are audios. There are whole whole businesses. You know, gravitate around the BBC license, mm. and uh, it's all about a show uh, about a time traveling uh, alien who may or may not give a fig about the rest of us. But it, it just it's exciting. It's 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 sometimes innovative. It's it's frustrating. But I think at the end of the day. Uh, we keep on coming back to it because a there's a nostalgia aspect to it, but also it offers something different to the current fare on television. Yeah, nostalgia is actually a very powerful thing because I mean, uh, when you know when you pop up an old episode of Doctor Who, especially the classic series, I'll be honest, my my loyalties lie more to the classic than the new stuff. It's like putting on an old pair of slippers, isn't it? Really, you could sit down yeah. and watch, you know, Pertwee or a Baker or a Davis, and I usually sort of tend to go towards those those eras, and, and also the bit of the Troughton as well. Uh, it's like putting on a pair of old slippers, isn't it? Really, just sort of it is. I don't know. It just makes you relax a bit, and it just it doesn't matter how many times you, you watch it, you always find. Or in some cases, listen to it. Um, mm. You always find something invariably new, and, and so my opinions towards some certain stories have changed dramatically over the years. What I thought was pants when I was younger now I think are quite good, and vice versa. So, mm. you know, that's the thing with Doctor Who now. It's it, nothing's consistent. It doesn't stay the same, and it still provokes debate about eras and, and doctors now. So, and most of the debate's been quite positive, and some of it's. Not so positive, but... That's life, isn't it? That's just life. Differences of opinion mm. poli- on, and politics and everything like that. So, you know, not Doctor Who's no different. But I was just... When you're talking about key episodes and milestones in, in your life, I remember, you know, the Five Doctors being... The trailer for the Five Doctors being shown over here and, you know, sort of losing my nuts <laughs> a bit, uh, going crazy about that. And then uh, when it was shown in Australia, you know, 10 or 15 minutes before it was shown, my dad said to me, oh, can you go and get some milk from the milk bar? I hadn't run so fast, so quick in my life, you know. And I remember we came back from a naturalisation ceremony and Terminus Part 4 was being shown. You can just remember snippets of where yes. of, of events in your life and that's sort of always correlate to, you know, Doctor Watching Kays of Andazani Part 4 um, on repeat on, on the day of my wedding. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was interesting. Yes. Uh, yeah, still married. Is this death? Well, did you think that as you slipped the wedding ring on? Or? <laughs> No. <laughs> Hello to your wife if she's listening. <laughs> so, Mark, that's enough about us. Yeah. Let's uh, segue into what our listeners have uh, have to say. Uh, we'll start off with a couple of Facebook posts, first of all. First one is from uh, Ricky Lynn Schneider. Uh, hello, Ricky Lynn. Uh, it says, Doctor Who. When I first started watching, Tom Baker was the Doctor, and I watched it on PBS. I loved the Doctor in all the regenerations, and absolutely fell in love with David Tennant, Matt Smith, and Peter Capaldi. I'm excited to see the Doctor as a woman. The stories, the adventures, the Daleks. What is not to love about the Doctor and his slash her companions? And another one was from Joanne Pangono. My joy came from all those quirky stories filled with history and fantasy. Clearly the variety of the show speaks to a lot of people. And then we started getting some emails come through. So the first one was long-time listener Bernard JKD. Hello, Bernard, if you're listening. I think he's in Ireland. Who says, I would say the reason I watch the show now is the reason I first started watching. I may have some parental issues. I would add my dad is a dead ringer clone of Tom and John. But without any of the intelligence, honesty, wisdom, adventure, education, temperament, or class. So the Doctor has always been an escape from my parents' vast shortcomings. But it's not all Freudian. The adventures themselves were always amazing. 
but the lack of science fiction elements of the original show are also a reason I consider the new show to be a cowardly version of the old show, alas. It's why the new show is disappointing at times as it's clearly a populist TV construction rather than intelligent escapist devil-may-care fun of the original. Plus the incidental music in Modern Who is also a sad watered-down element and has been for 12 years now. Yes, Gold is brilliant, but his music is not Doctor Who. The new show is formulaic as the old show, but I prefer the original's formula. So, a bit of love in there. A couple of nuggets. Yeah, I get what he means though, uh, especially around Mr. Gold's music. I, actually, I do hope they pass the broom around uh, Murray's keyboard and turn off the plug. Do you think um, they would sort of keep a couple of touchstones so that the audience has a sense that this is not a completely new thing, but uh, has some uh, links to the past? Or do you think that uh, Chibnall, now that he's wielding the broom with such vigour, will actually just, you know... <laughs> just upend everything and start effectively again. Chibbers uh, went to the ghost of JNT's cupboard and pulled out his season 18 broom and is going to roll it past Murray's desk. I just think it'll, it will be a complete reboot, I think, yeah. Is Dudley Simpson still with us? Yes, he is. Living in Sydney. Or is it Adelaide? One of the two. Uh, Sin City or the city of uh, serial killers. Who knows? <laughs> yes, with their yes. battery panels. <sighs> <clears throat> all right so uh, billy kirkbright all the way from wa uh, soon to secede and become part of south africa i hear <laughs> hello billy if you're listening i've been having uh, facebook uh, messages with young billy oh very good yeah uh, billy writes hello gents i've watched the show since 1972 good lord what i found most captivating about the show back then as a six-year-old was this dashing man of action the third doctor in the story day of the daleks as an impressionable young boy, there was just something about the pert that had me hooked on the show. Bearing in mind my dad wasn't around at the time, I think this had a great deal to do with it. It's often said, in particular my number five, Peter Davison, the Doctor can be a wonderful role model for young boys. This certainly was the case for me. Doctor Who for me is wonderful escapism throughout the years and while my fandom level has fluctuated since 1972, Doctor Who has always been a constant. From being that closet Doctor Who nerd through the 80s to being loud and proud in latter years. Over the years, I've endured its low points and loved its high points. Another factor as to why I love Doctor Who is I've gained many long-time and valued friends through podcasts, forums, and attending conventions. Such connections would never have occurred if it wasn't for Doctor Who. It's a wonderful community. Now we're on the brink of the most radical change in the show's history. All I can say is I'm really excited. Not that I've been an advocate of the Doctor being played by a female for the reason mentioned above, but in my opinion, the show really needs a boost. I'm hoping Whitaker and Chibnall will inject life in the show which has been my lifetime companion. Let's be positive and look forward to the casting of Jodie Whittaker. Through listening to the podcast, Mark and Rob, you've become my regular traveling companions when I often need to drive long distances for work. As I listen to your thoughts and musings on what I consider to be the very best TV program of all time, thanks for the company and keep it coming, uh, Billy. Thank you very much, Billy, for the kind words about the podcast and uh, for sharing those thoughts with us. Interestingly enough, he mentions the 80s where, did you hide your uh, fan... Love in the 80s? Love always, didn't it, Mark? It was more repressed then, wasn't it, really? Um, it was. It was a bit strange. For me, in the 80s, during my early high school years, there were a couple of... There was one teacher and one of the librarians, uh, both uh, women, who absolutely adored the, the show. I remember uh, one of the, te uh, the teacher, she came in one day uh, and she had a Doctor Who button on, on, her, on her shirt and she, was, she, she must have picked up either a Doctor Who magazine or said in the newspaper that uh, the show had been cancelled when, uh, you know... Uh, Colin Baker, uh, Colin Baker's era was sort of suspended mid mid go. So, um, 
but other than that, yeah, it was it was sort of something kept very very much in the dark. I was actually obsessed about it in primary school and high school, and there were mm-hmm. kids in my uh, in grade six and year seven who uh, used to like the program, but because I used to keep going on about it, their love for it sort of evaporated. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, you wore them out, Mark. I wore them out and the ABC publicity department ringing them every day saying, why are you showing caves around us, Arnie? Why are you showing caves around us, Arnie? I heard you cut the crap out of part four. <laughs> the things you do as a 12-year-old. That's it. And the next letter we have is from Andy Taylor, not the uh, guitarist from Duran Duran. So hi, Andy. Who says, hi, guys. I first got into Who as it was something that I always watched on a Saturday night. Although not fans, my parents had watched it in the 60s and 70s before going out. And so I ended up watching it. My first Who memory is of the Logopolis Regeneration, although I'm not sure if it was the first broadcast or the Five Faces repeat. I carried on watching, although not religiously, for the rest of the original run, and too much piss-taking at school started getting videos around 88 and 89. Even now I still find it awkward to talk about Doctor Who, but even when it's popular, I still expect to be laughed at, and when asked questions about old stories or why I like it, I can still feel the rise of embarrassment. I've always loved the variety of stories and escapism, but without taking itself too seriously like Star Trek. I had never been into fandom as such, and have only been to the 30th and 40th anniversary conventions. They were enjoyable, but as none of my friends were into the show, they weren't something I'd regularly look into going to. Probably why my love of the show has always been a solitary affair. Now I have two boys, two and five, who like to sit down with Dad and watch. Hopefully they'll like it in the future, but I'm not going to force them to watch it and end up hating it. And with the crazy events in the world, it's 45 minutes you can sit down and forget all about it. Even if, at the end, I sometimes think, Moffat, what have you done? Although Series 10 has been mostly excellent, with the exception of the Monk Trilogy. Keep up the good work. Your podcast is always the one I look out for and always makes me laugh. Cheers, guys. Andy. Thanks very much for that, Andy. Look, there's some points raised about the piss-taking in the, in the 80s. Uh, about Doctor Who, it doesn't seem to be a isolated incident. It seems to be a, quite a, uh, a common pattern back then. Mm. Now, obviously, everybody's on the on the bandwagon, but I still have a lot of hesitation talking about the program. In fact, today, a lady at work, we just started talking about it, and then talking about something, and I mentioned the the casting of a woman Doctor Who, and and she goes, "Oh, yeah, my husband's got a Tom Baker scarf, and you know he likes Tom Baker, and you know we start having a bit of a chat about it." But there's always that slight reservation from me. Hmm. about letting it all out and i think it's probably it's it's probably that suppression from the 80s where you you know you're very enthusiastic and as you realize it's not very trendy anymore keep it to myself but interesting point about he's watching it with his two kids but he's not going to force them to watch it that's i actually think it's a really good attitude because i don't force my kids to watch it but we were never forced to watch it either were we mate no that's the thing but i know there's some parents who are who fans who basically have said they'll just sit there and we're going to watch Doctor Who now, you know, and, and, and I suppose try and get them engaged that way. Mm. Where I'd rather them come to it, I suppose, uh, naturally if they can. And, and, you know, maybe I'll show... I've showed my son a couple of episodes, but he's never really sort of uh, developed the bug, as it were. Mm. Um, although, ironically, when the when the Jodie Whittaker casting came on, uh, my, my daughter actually said, you know, what, I'm actually going to watch it now. So, mm. there you go. I think the 80s was a pretty bad time for Doctor Who in terms of it. The, the vibe of the 80s was sort of really against Doctor Who, I think. I, I think a lot of our peers at that point weren't really weren't really interested in, in, in shows of that nature. I mean, you know, the A-Team came along. There was all, all sorts of different shows on television that you could sort of, you know, sink your teeth into. And a sort of low-budget TV show from Britain 
which had none of the sort of sexiness of American action TV shows, was was always sort of you know pushing it uphill, wasn't it? Absolutely. The kids at school watching Miami Vice, for God's sake, mm. as opposed to watching Warriors on the Deep. I mean, which which one would you rather watch? Uh, well, yes, I think that answers itself. <laughs> Hello, Tubbs and Crockett. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, we move on to Pete, who uh, on Twitter is Professor Quatermass. He's actually Pirate Pete, my uh, long-time trading VHS buddy. Really. Yes. Oh, Pirate Pete. Uh, now, Pete writes, How did I get the Doctor Who bug? Well, for me, it wasn't the traditional Saturday tea time viewing of most of my late 70s contemporaries. It was the movies. Those Cushing classics about the Who family's Dalek fighting adventures were on heavy rotation on rainy Sunday afternoon TV schedules here. They fitted in perfectly with the time machine, journey to the centre of the earth, and so on, all of which I love. I probably assumed the Doctor Who TV series was merely a spin-off from its widescreen original. Now... A confession. I didn't like Tom Baker. Not sure why. He was so 70s, and it was the 80s. I dipped in occasionally, but preferred Buck Rogers. Gasp. That's me editorialising. That was me actually watching it as well. (laughs) Just as an aside, um, I did watch a clip of Buck Rogers uh, a couple of weeks ago where Buck is getting up and dancing 70s style in front of all these 25th century people. And uh, is it it Princess? I don't know. The woman that sort of he falls in with, she gets Not up and stuff. Wilma? No. Wil- no, Wilma? Might have been. But she's wearing almost next to nothing. It's typical 70s no- nothing wear. It's it's eye-opening, if nothing else. I watched a clip of Bucks Rogers. It was really bad. The memory certainly cheated on that show. It mm. did, it did. All right, back to uh, Pete's uh, missive. As Tom's era drew to a close, a new boy started at my primary school. We became best friends, and his who enthusiasm proved contagious. He explained the doctor was about to change, and this was a big deal. So I tuned in for Legopolis and liked what I saw. In the break after season 18, before the Five Faces repeats from the archive, they also repeated Full Circle and Keeper of Traken, a shrewd move to give newbies like me the intro stories for Adric and Nyssa. I was making sure I didn't miss an episode by this point. Then it was that Five Faces run, Unearthly Child, Crotons, Carnival of Monsters, Three Doctors and Legopolis, that had me in full-on fanboy mode, buying the targets and subscribing to DWM. When season 19 started, I loved the idea that this whole new era had started just for 80s kids like me, and was certain the series had never been better. A feeling that would last, well, nearly six years. But maybe when did you first get cynical about who having lost its way is for another day. And another podcast. Uh, <laughs> and another podcast indeed. Uh, it's funny, I remember watching I remember watching Logopolis uh, here, and for such a momentous event... It was on a small, a very small screen, black and white television, portable television in my bedroom. Me, imagine something the size with a screen the size of your palm and me just sort of getting up really cl- close to see Tom Baker's final minutes. Well, that's how I saw Logopolis. The black and white actually probably would have helped it, wouldn't it, really? The whole doom-laden mood of it. Mm. Maybe you should uh, watch it again, just turn your colour down on your 75-inch uh, TV. I think so. You got now, hanging up on your wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's actually true. It is? Oh, excellent. <laughs> we'll look forward to watching the grand final at your place this year. Mm. JNT does get a lot of flack, and some of it is deserved. But the Five Faces repeat run that uh, he organised uh, was, was, was absolutely brilliant timing, really, wasn't it? As, as Pete says, a very shrewd move. It was. Um, yeah, to get that interest again. And if you watch that... Um, documentary checks, lies, and videotape on the Revenge of the Cybermen DVD. You know, they're all talking about, I made my parents run out and buy a VHS or a beta recorder to tape the the Five Faces series because once it's on, it's gone. 
uh-huh. back then. So, yeah, a very shrewd move. All right, so we now should move on to our next letter. Is uh, from Stephen from the New to Who podcast, uh, the newest Doctor Who podcast in the Australian firmament. Yes, and a very good one as well. Hello, lads, if you are listening. Uh, and Stephen begins. Hi, Mark and Rob. Why don't people put my name first? What's going on? <laughs> it's alphabetical, Mike. <laughs> Let's start by congratulating you on your great work on the 42 to Doomsday podcast, which is always a novel, clever, funny, and entertaining chat between two good friends and fellow fans. And for your positivity at a time when, as you say, there isn't too much of it about in certain sections of fandom and trolldom. That's very kind of you, uh, Stephen. I think a lot of people have been used about our reaction to the casting. I think they were expecting uh, fire and brimstone. But, I, I mean, as, as I said, I, I'm, I'm nonplussed by it, to be honest. I don't know. I, I think... I suppose at some point you've just got to realise being sensible, having a sensible reaction about these sort of things is the right way to go. I mean, mean, look, the whole furor around Peter Davison being forced off Twitter is an overreaction to a man being reasonable. I mean, he had some reservations about, you know, the casting, but he was full of enthusiasm for Jodie Whittaker. So, I mean, Mm. when when did being sensible suddenly become a crime? I mean, it it surely couldn't have been on January 20 this year. But when you give people 140 characters to voice their um, their disapproval, Mm. and he's probably getting barraged by it as well, um, I don't blame him, but absolutely completely unnecessary. That's an aside. We'll go back to Stephen's letter. So... He he continues, Your choice of topic certainly is a timely one, and in looking to accentuate why Doctor Who is the best television program there has ever been, it's nice to look back at why we're fans of it in the first place. Strangely enough, we also thought this important, so as to actually begin New to Who outlining just that, back in episode zero, when Cole, Daniel and myself answered that self-same question. For Cole, it was a connection to his father. For Dan, it was a connection to his home in the UK. And for me, well, I don't know if there was a reason, other than... Much like when I have been introduced to every new Doctor, it had that indefinable quality about it that led me to recognise it immediately upon first sight. In later years, after decades spent and misspent ruminating upon my native mythology of Doctor Who, as well as in the corridors and cul-de-sacs of further and further education, a route that actually sprang forth from my being so intrinsically caught up in the mythos of the show, I've learnt to articulate it a little better. And it goes a little something like this. What Doctor Who is to me is the haphazard, mad, alchemical, and sometimes mostly accidental rediscovery, for and of television, of the one story humanity has told itself over and again through the millennia, that of The Stranger, who, unannounced and without much fuss, arrives mysterious, does the most wonderful and incredible things, showing us that there is always a better, more just, and hopefully a peaceful way. And then, before anyone can thank them or even ask them why, this figure disappears into the ether from whence they came only to again reenact the same storyline in any various forms, disguises, places and times. In that way, it is an inexhaustible source of wonder, as much food for the soul as it is for the brain and the heart. Of course, the reason why it has lasted so long and will outlast us all is that it uses the continual emerging language of the medium and its times. It is television in its most perfected form, able to go anywhere, appear anywhere, and tell any story, and it can only do this while the show reflects the people, places, and times in which it is absorbed back into its now global cultures. That's the secret of the whole show, a continually posed what-if. It's an aspirational story of any kind of story that is actually about a better version of us all, and so it can be and very much is all things to all people. It is bigger than us, and it's about us, all at the same time and it can't and won't be nailed down by one person's strict definition because its very fate is dependent on avoiding it of being in a continual state of flux adapting to its environment and always evolving into another state 
showrunners, producers, script editors, actors, they all come and go, leaving their mark, hopefully and usually for the better, always giving us something we can't help but enjoy. And the best of it, the greatest Doctor Who, is when it breaks new ground, becomes something that has never been seen before, striking a chord before it finds a note or melody somewhere on the zeitgeist and riffs on it. I think it's why I became a Doctor Who fan. And we can basically summarise it as, it's always novel, clever, 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 funny and entertaining, much like your pod. Thanks for the opportunity to continue to be positive about my favourite show and the best ever modern myth we all share. We hate goodbyes, so until next time, keep punching! Stephen from New to Who. Thanks, Stephen. That is a great letter. You've articulated it better than Rob and I could ever do. Is that right, Rob? Uh, Yes. I mean, I think I take two things away from Stephen's letter. The one thing about Doctor Who being a modern myth, I think I think he's hit the nail on the head there. It is something that has grown from being a show seen in one country to a global phenomenon. And because of that, it, it, it's been embraced right around the world in a sense. And people will, will, will put their own thoughts and feelings and opinions on the show and, and create something out of it that the show may never have intended. But uh, but has inspired in, in in these these viewers you know all around the world. The other thing he says uh, about the show sort of bursting out of its um, sort of uh, you know doing something new that sort of you know makes you sit up and watch. I mean, as he was as you were reading that, Mark, uh, I was reminded of, of of stories like Caves of Androzani, of Genesis of the Daleks, uh, of stories like that that are intrinsically Doctor Who, but they you know go out and break new ground. Uh, and it, it's something that Doctor Who should do and, and needs to do, frankly, um, in order to, be, to, to remain relevant. So, look, I can only thank Stephen for his, you know, his really heartfelt and well-written uh, letter. Thank you, Stephen. So you mentioned Caves of Anazani and Genesis there. So obviously we are classic lads. So what shows from New Who do you think do the same? Uh, I think the Cornell two-parter, uh, the human nature and the family of blood do that very, very much. I think it... It's the, the show's quintessentially Doctor Who, but for for most of it, the Doctor isn't the Doctor. Um, so I mean that 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 sort of doing that, you know, what is Doctor Who if you strip the Doctor of what makes him the Doctor, and how, and you can sort of see how that is is uh, is displayed on the screen for those two episodes. Um, look, the really good uh, Stephen Moffat stories. I mean, something like Blink, where the Doctor is barely in it, but it's definitely a Doctor Who story, and it's sort of. It, it, it the show strikes out in, in 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 a new direction. I mean, only just for that one episode, I suppose. But a show like an episode like Blink, allowing you to watch the show from a different angle. I mean, even something like Vincent and the Doctor, which is you know probably one of the most emotional stories that Doctor Who has done in you know if if not in a long time, then certainly ever. Um, and 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 relies on that ending in a way to to, to give the story its overall strength. Um, given what we actually know about you know the end of Vincent uh, van Gogh's life so I mean it's not all Stephen Moffat for instance there are really you know other great writers out there who brought something different a different vibe a different look to it I mean something I mean like Neil Gaiman with um doctor's wife with the doctor's wife I mean that that gives you a whole new spin I mean that's something that makes you sit up and and look look at the show at a di- in a different way and it sort of builds on what what has gone before even the latest two-parter with um, uh, mr. Moffat wheeled out. Uh, Bill as a cyber person. Yes. That perspective has never been done before on TV. No. Yes, that's, again, breaking a bit of the mould there. So, yeah, Doctor Who can uh, keep changing and evolving, and, 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 and so it should. It should be looking forward and not looking back. Take note, Christmas special. 
that's it from listeners' uh, contributions towards this topic. Any sort of takeaways there? I mean, there's lots of common themes there. It, it certainly is interesting that some of our contributors uh, looked up to the Doctor as a sort of uh, father figure for an absent father figure. Uh, that, that that's interesting. I mean, I you know, from my perspective, I I I never looked to the Doctor as being anything other than a uh, an entertaining character on television. I was you know more than happy with the, the the fact that my father was my father. But I mean, my life is different to everyone everyone else's. Um, I think just the general enthusiasm that people have felt for the show over a very long time. I mean, we've got some new series uh, contributors there with uh, Ricky Lynn Schneider. We've got some you know some classic. Uh, geriatrics like ourselves, and I, no, no offense, Billy, but uh, 1972 is a very long time ago, mate. But um, yeah, look, it, it's certainly inspiring. I mean, Stephen was very inspired with and inspirational with what he was, what he was saying, and and it's just you know it's good to just to hear um, some of the positives uh, that people have felt that the show has brought to their lives, and uh, and uh, I'm, I really you know again I'd just like to thank everyone for writing in. It's it's really really appreciated and very cheering. We'll be back to our usual bile spitting selves next podcast aren't we Rob (laughs) well we'll see Mike we'll see you've got mail we've got some overdue feedback to go through Rob yes this uh, is in response to our um, uh, The Verdicts podcast our last podcast we had with uh, Rob Lloyd Mark Chook Harding hello Mark uh, just said, just listen to this episode, loved it. I can't believe the amount of hate the new Doctor is generating online. Get the F over it and move on. I'm really looking forward to seeing where they can take it. And Bernard Duff uh, responds to that by saying, The main culprits of bad behaviour online has, by some considerable margin, been those viciously attacking anyone who voiced a negative opinion on the casting. Uh Maybe some of the uh, sub, this <laughs> the overimplanted superiority complex some of the social justice warriors out there have um, is really infuriating, but equally some of the just the tone deaf trolling really that that, that people have engaged in um, is equally uh, reprehensible. So look, I think there is guilt on both sides. Um, look and look again people are entitled to their opinion and 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 again people can say what they want Um, I always hope though that people conduct themselves with a certain sense of dignity and a realization that even though the people that you're corresponding with you know are are, are names on a screen that you just treat them with the sort of same sort of dignity that you would expect to be treated with Uh, sadly that seems to be in short supply especially on the internet but Look, we can always live in hope that things uh, and people improve uh, just the way they communicate with each other. We'll see. Now, long-time correspondent Jed Sweeney, all the way down uh, in the Cattery in Geelong Way. Hello, Jed. Uh, he actually sent us his thoughts on Series 10, but in audio form. Ooh. So this is going to be uh, easy for us to read out, Rob, because we won't mangle it. So take it away, Jed. Hi, gents. Here's my Season 10 review. Keeping it simple, up to Extremis, I was really impressed with all the episodes and was thinking if they could maintain this level and the season was going to be an absolute cracker. Even Knock Knock, which, whilst for me was thematically comparatively weak, looked so magnificent that this one was truly an enjoyable example of style over substance. 
Unfortunately then, the monks came and went, and I thought their last two episodes of the trilogy was very weak. However, whilst I say that, unlike a number of commentators, I didn't have an issue with Bill's memory of her mum saving the day. I did, and still do struggle to grasp, what the motivation there was for the monks, you know, what was their raison d'etre, and why they had to adjust people's perception of history. The ending seemed rushed, and I presumed they went away so quickly that we must be going to see them again. Also, I believe the moth has commented that the monks is not their real name, so maybe this will be covered in the Christmas special. I always have low expectations of Mick Gatto's script, so the Empress of Mars was a pleasant surprise and yes, I gave a delighted punch to the air when Alpha Centauri appeared. Now that's how to get away with showing a cock in a shower curtain. Eaters of life, bleh, no real threat, a monster that looked good but seemed sidelined somewhat. Maybe this one would have been better as a true historical. And finally the last two episodes. I had a visceral, unpleasant reaction to World Enough and Time but that was more about the style than the content and I didn't hate it. I saw whom the master was a few minutes before the big reveal. Which, considering I never saw through the Portreeve disguise in Castrovalva back in 82, was a big improvement for me. However, apart from flying Mondasian Cybermen, I loved the Doctor Falls. Yet again, I'm surprised that Marvel's lawyers haven't been banging down the door asking if they can have their Iron Men back, please. I know the Moff addressed the flying Mondasian Cybermen by referencing a parallel evolution of the Cyberform. A Mondas, Telos, Planet 14 and Marinus. Of course, if he really wanted to be accurate, if I recall correctly, Marinus was Planet 14 and was going to become Mondas. And this was years before Spare's part, so. So who knows? More to point, who cares? Just disengaging nerd mode. Anyway, Bill was a genuine positive for the season, as surprisingly was Nardol. However, where did the Nardol as a conman bit come from? Unless this is another hint like being blue again, the Nardole was actually Dorian. I also felt the situation Nardole has been left in wasn't ideal, even if a bit of love interest has been provided. I do hope we haven't seen the last of Bill and would love her to travel on when Capaldi regenerates, although... Recent events may prevent this, because otherwise the moral guardians at the Daily Mail could have an aneurysm. So in summary, 12 episodes, 8 of which I really enjoyed, and of the other 4, none were as poor as Black Spot. So, 9 out of 10 moth, 9 out of 10. The banners fly high from dawn to dark, down at Gardenia Park. Thanks Jed for those thoughts. There's been a common theme about uh, Series 10, was uh, a vast improvement, but a 3 episode dip in the middle. Especially with those meddling monks. Or are they moronic monks? Yes, leaning more on the moronic than meddling, uh, Mark. wonder why Moffat never brought back the meddling monk. There was a chance there for Moffat's you know, com- comedic writing background to come out a little bit, surely. To keep saying to you, I'm fed up of looking back. Moffat doesn't drink from the well. He actually jumps in and has a spa in the continuity well. And the looks <laughs> of the Christmas special, it's like hot tub time machine. But let's not dwell on that particular image of a, of a Scot <laughs> swirling around in the spa. I know. So this is from Mark John from the Diddly Dumb podcast in response to the uh, Games, Games and More Games podcast. The one I wasn't on. Yes, and we had such a good time without you, Mark. So. Yes, I actually fell asleep listening on the plane, what? so I enjoyed it. Oh, Thank okay. you. <laughs> no, it was good. I just lulled you to sleep in your little uh, shell likes, didn't I, Mark? Your analogy about the car accident <laughs> Series 10... Oh. I, I burst out laughing and nearly choked on my plain food. So uh, thank you for that. Yeah, I've never heard an analogy like it. I don't think I ever will. Uh, I'm surprised there has been no <laughs> feedback on it or actually a knock on the door from the police. But uh, let's, uh, let's yeah, like a, uh, a person in another vehicle driving past a catastrophe, we'll just keep on driving. Rubbernecking along the Rubbernecking. Road. All right. So Mark John uh, from Diddly Dumb uh, writes, Hi, chaps. Surely the finest Doctor Who board game has to be the Dennis Fisher's War of the Daleks. I used to play it all the time as a kid, sometimes with my older brother, but more often by myself. That may sound a bit sad, but it was a way for me to make my own new adventures. 
This was during a period where there were no repeats of the show and no videos around for me to enjoy during those barren months when it was off the air. As a child, I was somewhat surprised to see that the playing pieces seemed to feature not the Doctor himself, but rather his companion Harry Sullivan. Looking at them now, I'm not quite sure who they're meant to be. A great game though, with a beautiful board, clever mechanics, and lovely plastic Daleks that you could play with sans board for hours on end. I also had the Games Workshop Doctor Who game, but never played it. I was put off by the unfathomable rules, the hundreds of little tiles which needed stacking, and worst of all, the incorrectly named companions. I still have both games and get them out of the attic every now and then for a little look. In fact, I took War of the Daleks to a convention recently where I had half an idea that I might get Nick Briggs to sign it. In the end, I couldn't bear the thought of anyone scribbling on the box, and so it remained in the boot of my car for the weekend. All the best, Mark John. If Nick Briggs had signed that, Mark, uh, it would have been non-canon, so you <laughs> did the right thing, son. What else might be in Mark's uh, car boot? Perhaps a missing Doctor Who film print? No? <laughs> I did see somebody post on a, a, a Facebook thread saying, I think it was along the lines of, what would you do to celebrate the 51st anniversary of the screening of The Abominable Snowman? And I was nearly going to post, burn episode two. <laughs> but I thought, no, let's just go to, uh, you know, was no. it Troll? Start yeah. a flame war, as, yeah, the, as the youngsters say. No, forget that. So I, I didn't do that. Don't go down that path, Mike. It's, no. it's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. I wonder what companions were incorrectly named. That's interesting. I, I look, it'd be interesting to find out. Maybe Mark can uh, just briefly contact us back and see who was... Uh, I suppose it was a misspelling, perhaps, or a different attribution to a particular photo. Maybe Sarah Jane Smith underneath a picture of uh, Polly, perhaps. Joe Grant underneath a Dalek, perhaps. Wrapped around a Dalek, Mark. Or underneath as well, depending uh, on the version you see. Uh, what? Okay. <laughs> Polly and Ben, El Natural. Uh, uh, <laughs> in, the, in the spa with Moffat. <laughs> it was the 60s after all, Mark, the late 60s. So. Swinging 60s indeed. All right, so I believe we have our last letter here, Mark. Yes, we do, from uh, Nathaniel DeBell. Uh, who titles it Reflections on the Cybermen. Dear 42 to Doomsday, I'm writing this email after listening to your most recent podcast for the purpose of expressing my appreciation of your comments on the characterization of the Cybermen in Doctor Who. I'm in agreement with your thoughts on the matter. For the Cybermen to be an effective villain for the audience of the show, it should be particularly obvious that they are emotionless individuals whose entire motivation is the survival of their species. Unfortunately, because they, along with the Daleks, have become the iconic villains of the show, they supposedly have to seem to be the ultimate menace to our central character. Where the Daleks have survived this phenomena because their motivation is the end game of racism, to me the Cybermen are tragic characters who have made their choices which have gradually deprived themselves of their humanity. For those interested on their excellent podcast Beyond the Sofa, New Zealanders, uh, Peter Adamson and David Ronane, I apologise to David if I haven't got that right, uh, devoted the episode Mask the Cybermen to this very topic. Looking forward to listening to your eventual appraisal of Series 10. Regards, Nathaniel DeBell. Thank you, Nathaniel, for that. Um, I, I will say one thing. The, um, the take on the Cybermen who were uh, being converted or partially converted in uh, episode 11 of series 10 uh, i actually enjoyed that take i thought that really got down to the heart of the horror of what the cybermen uh, were doing to themselves ripping out portions of themselves to ensure the the longevity of themselves so uh the fact that they were, you know they were able to they had those little devices where they were um you could hear <laughs> exactly what they were thinking about their fate and then being able to turn it down was a was a nice sort of encapsulation of that 
thank you very much everybody we do appreciate you contacting us and and, and just being involved in our conversations because um you know we enjoy hearing from everybody isn't that right rob it's great to hear that there are engaged listeners out there willing to contribute and um certainly we'll we'll uh, we'll try to have uh, more such podcasts going forward it's warmed by extremely cold stony heart uh, tonight to uh, to read out some of those to read out all of those uh, letters in fact and thanks to the miracle of uh, twitter i did ask for uh, potential subjects for our uh, opposite attract slash alternative facts uh, segment that we haven't done in a while and mm. we've been flooded uh, with uh, suggestions, uh, particularly from the uh, Flight Through Entirety podcast. So uh, the guys there. So we'll be uh, feeding those in for the next uh, six months while the show is not on the air again-ish. Well, hopefully there will be a more regular schedule under Chibnall. I bet it's on more consistently. 2019 transmission, is that right? Or I think late, later in 2018. Look forward to that. Our next episode, just like Mr Moffat uh, goes back to the continuity well and spa, we're also going to go back to our uh, top five lists and we're going to do top five uh, directors of Doctor Who over the new and old series. So we're going to put that together and uh, unleash it onto you all in our next podcast. And if uh, anyone has uh, any thoughts on their top five directors, uh, please drop us a line via Twitter or Facebook or our email account. You'll hear my slightly less than dulcet tones at the end of it, uh, giving all that out. So we look forward to uh, any contributions any of you would like to make with regards to that topic. Even MP3s. Oh, yes, especially MP3s. So, Mark, I think that's uh, that's it for the podcast. We are done. Thank you all again. Thanks, Rob. Had a good time as per normal, and uh, we'll, we'll speak again soon. We certainly will. See you, everyone. Bye. You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.